Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Raleigh Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Daniel made mention of this briefly uh, tonight. But you know, I've, I got born again when I was eight years old. And I've been ser searching and seeking God the best I knew how my entire life. I never went away from God. Now, I'm certainly am not saying I did everything right, but I'm just saying I always wanted to follow God. And I've been seeking God. And uh, next Tuesday, I'll turn 64. I have never said a word of profanity in my whole life. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I mean, I lived a separated life. And to the best of my ability, I sought God. And yet, I was frustrated. My dad died when I was 12 years old, and I spent six months praying for him. And I fasted as an 11-year-old and prayed that my dad would be healed. And he died just the same as if I hadn't have known God. And I had tragedy after tragedy. When I was in Vietnam, I had a girl that I was engaged to die, and I had to go home for an emergency leave for a month and then went back to Vietnam. And I just wasn't seen a manifestation of God's power in my life. I've always loved Him. I've always sought Him. I've always believed that God could do whatever He wanted to do. And so, even though I was brought up in a denomination that didn't teach that miracles are for us today, every time I got my back against the wall, I was praying and asking God for a miracle. I believed it could happen but I didn't have like a handle on it to know how to get it to happen. And this is one of the things that just changed my life. And, and I'll say this quickly, and then I'll get into these scriptures and explain it. But see, I was believing that God could do something, but not that He had done it. And I was always just asking, and then I passively waited on God. And if what I prayed for came to pass, then it was hallelujah, praise God. But if it didn't, I didn't feel any control, any ability to make any of these things happen. And one of the things that changed my life is when the Lord showed me that He has already done everything He's going to do through Jesus. It's over. Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. Jesus isn't healing people today or saving people today. And some of you think, oh no, I need to be saved. I need to be healed. You can receive the healing that Jesus purchased for you 2,000 years ago. You can receive the healing, but He is not healing people. It's already been done. When He said it is finished, He was talking about that His work is done and He is seated at the Father's right hand. He is not working. He is seated and God has already done His part. And some of you are thinking, well, if that's true, well, then why aren't we seeing more manifestation? Because people have been given His power and authority, and it's up to us to believe and receive. And then there's things you do that release God in your life. Now, that's a real big statement that I just made, and I'm going to spend the rest of the night trying to explain this. But I can tell you that is contrary to the way that the vast majority of the body of Christ thinks. The vast majority of the body is just praying and asking God for something and if He doesn't answer their prayer, then they'll go to the prayer chain and get more people to pray and put more pressure on God and they're going to get 100,000 people together and eventually just bother God so much that He's got to heal you or, or prosper you or save you or whatever. 
and that's not how it works. Right here in Ephesians, the reason I, one of the reasons I like the book of Ephesians is because it's written from this mindset that I've just described. Instead of praying and saying God can do something, pray and seek God and ask God to move, it's telling you what's already happened. The whole book is written about what's already true, not what's going to happen. If you listen to most prophecies in church, the prophecies are all about what's going to happen. There's coming a new day. We're going to see this. But you know, the truth is we aren't headed to a victory. We are coming from a victory. Jesus has already defeated sin, sickness, the devil, and you are the one that's in control and you're the one in the driver's seat. And instead of trying to obtain victory, you need to look back and see what's already happened and go to believe it. Amen? So here in the book of Ephesians, let me start with chapter 1, and I'm just going to summarize a few things here because I hadn't got time to go verse by verse through this. But in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, that word is past tense, he hath already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I can teach through every one of these verses because most people, again, don't think this way and it would be beneficial if you saw every one of these things. But, you know, I, I want to get on to some other scriptures, so just take these things and you go search it out for yourself. And if you can understand this, it'll change everything. In verse 4, it says, according as he hath chosen us. Again, it's past tense. He's already chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Again, most of us think that God is in heaven looking at us and if you will do this and this and this and if you will pray just right and if you will study the Word and if you will do this and this, then God moves. But no, God has already done His part before the foundation of the world. It's already dictated. It's already done. It's not up to God whether you get saved, healed, delivered, or prospered. God has already provided everything it takes to release His power in your life. It's up to you whether you get healed, delivered, prospered, and saved. And some people really do not like that because you're saying, you're saying it's my fault. Yep, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's your fault. I had people come up to me tonight who just were like, would you please pray? And it's like, they, they, I can do nothing. I have nothing. I could do nothing. Maybe you could do something. And I'm trying to be polite. I just don't normally tell people exactly what I think. But boy, that turns me off when a person comes and I can't do anything. The doctor says it's incurable. The doctor says I'm going to die. The banker says it's over. There's just nothing I can do. I mean, when I hear stuff like that, the spirit of slap wants to come all over me. Just like, man, Jesus said you are the head, not the tail. You're above only and not beneath. God gave you all power in heaven and earth. And when you come and saying, I am nothing and I have nothing, you've already violated what the Word says. You are starting from a position of unbelief. And some of you are thinking, but I've got a doctor's report to prove what I'm saying is true. All a doctor's report can do is tell you about your physical body. I'm telling you who you are inside. In the Spirit, you have the power of God on the inside of you. God has put the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 
I'm wanting to get down here, but man, I'm not making very much headway. Let me just skip over to verse 14. I'll preach on every one of these verses if I read them. This is powerful stuff. Again, you ought to read this because everything is in the past tense. Verse 6, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. You aren't trying to get God to accept you. He's already accepted you. Those of you that feel, oh, God doesn't love me and He's not pleased with me, the whole time you're feeling that God is pleased with you. God is not mad at you if you've made Jesus your Lord. You are accepted in the Beloved, not in yourself, not in your actions. God loves you. He's got a picture of you in His wallet. He's got an 8 by 10 of you on His mantle in heaven. God loves you and He's not mad at you. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, I don't feel it. Just pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up and start believing what the Word says. But I don't feel well. I don't feel... Uh, I, man, if you are trying to experience God in just feelings, you're going to miss Him nine out of ten times. You have to get to where God's Word is what you go by. And then in verse 14 down here, or verse 15, it says, Wherefore I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And then he lists his prayer. Before I get into this prayer, let me just ask you a question. If you were to write a prayer down for people that were going to read it 2,000 years in the future, Paul wrote this nearly 2,000 years ago. If you were going to pray for somebody 2,000 years in the future, how would you pray? I can tell you because I've heard so many people pray that most prayers would be something like this. Oh God, touch these people. Oh God, pour out your spirit. Send revival on these people. Do a new thing. Do something. Move. By you. And it would all be pleading with God to do something. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Some of you are thinking about this and thinking about, well, what's wrong with that? You'll see that Paul isn't asking God to give, give them something new to move, to send revival. He's praying, God, open up their eyes to what they've already got. Help them to realize what you've already done. If you're praying for healing, you're missing it. God has already healed you. 1 Peter 2, 24, by His stripes you were healed. If you're praying for salvation, you're missing it. He died for everybody's sin one time 2,000 years ago on the cross. He is not going to die for your sins again. He will not go to the cross and suffer. He doesn't have to do anything. He's already paid for the sins of the whole world. It's not a matter of is God going to forgive you. It's a matter of will you receive His forgiveness? Will you reach out? You know, let me give you this example that when I was in, uh, I don't know, I was... It was right before I got born again, so it was, I was seven years old or something because I got born again when I was eight years old. And I was in a church, and we had a vacation Bible school in the Baptist church. And normally, I sat right down on the front row with my parents. It was like it was our pew. We had that. It was like, you know, the skunk that went to church. He got to sit in his own pew. We had our own pew, amen. <laughs> And I normally sat right down here, but because I was in a vacation Bible school, they marched me in with my classes, and I was sitting at the very back of this church. There was about 600 people in the church, and I was on the back row. And this man stood up, and he held up a dollar bill. And he said, I'll give this dollar bill to the first kid that comes up here and gets it. 
And I mean immediately, there was just kids all around him, 20 or 30 kids, and they were all standing there jumping up and down, I want it, I want it. And I thought of all of the times to be on the back row, this was rotten. But he just kept his arm up in the air and he didn't give it to any of them. And he kept saying, I'll give this dollar bill to the first kid that comes up here and takes it. And everybody is wondering, what's he doing? Every kid wants it. And he just kept repeating this and kept repeating. And finally, it hit my lightning fast mind what he was saying. And I got out from the back of the thing, ran down the aisles, pushed through those kids. And he had his arm up. I reached my hands up on his arm. And I climbed up this guy's arm. And I grabbed that dollar bill. <laughs> and as soon as I did that, he says, now all of you wanted this, but that's the first kid that took it. That's what he said, I'll give it to the first kid that takes it. And he was using that as an example to say that's the way salvation is. Jesus has provided it. He's forgiven your sins, but you have to take it. Yeah. You know, in our churches, we'll often say, Lord, I ask you to come into my heart. Please forgive me of my sins. And praise God that God can interpret and translate. <laughs> But technically, you can't get saved just asking God to save you or, or saying, please save me. It says in Romans 10, 9 that you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and then you shall be saved. The Philippian jailer came to Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 around verse 31, 32 and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he didn't say, ask Jesus to come into your heart. Ask Jesus to forgive your sins. You can't find that. There's one place in the New Testament where it talks about asking for the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, 9. But that's the people who are already Christians. There is not a single scripture in the New Testament that tells you to ask the Lord to forgive you because that is wondering if it's done. Would you do it? The Bible teaches that Jesus has already died for the sins of the whole world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has already paid for the sins of the whole world. Does that mean that everybody's saved? No, because you have to reach out and take it. You have to say, I make Jesus my Lord. I believe in my heart that I have been saved. But see, that's different than just, God, will you save me? And then you wait on a feeling? What does feeling saved feel like? You know, I've had some wonderful experiences and God has touched my life and I've had some great things happen and I've had some feelings and things like this, but there's times that I don't feel a thing and yet I'm saved. If you are just asking and then you wait to see did God do anything, the devil will talk you out of your salvation. You've got to believe that Jesus died for you. He said, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you have to say, I'm a whosoever. And I'm calling on the name of the Lord. I've had people come forward before and I pray with them and I say, so are you saved? Did you believe that you're saved? And they say, well, I hope so. And I said, what do you mean you hope so? I said, right here, Romans 10, 9, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, did you do that? And they said, yes. Are you a whosoever? Yes. Are you saved? I hope so. 
That's not taking it. You got to believe that if you do your part, God said you confess and believe, then you are saved. And you have to sit there and say, I am saved because this is what the word says and I'm not backing off of it. And it's the same thing with healing. It's the same thing with deliverance or peace or prosperity or anything else. You have to take the scriptures and believe that God has already done his part. And now he says, I've blessed you. I've given you this power. Now you take it and you speak to the problem. You command the devil to flee from you and he will flee from you. James chapter four, verse seven says, submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil doesn't flee from God. God and the devil have already met and Jesus won, hands down. The devil is a defeated foe. There is no conflict between God and the devil right now. It's between the devil and you. And, it, and the only way that he can win against you is if you don't know that Jesus has already given you this power and you aren't standing and using what God's given you. Instead, you're asking God to please get the devil off your case. That's not how it works. I've nearly preached way ahead of myself, but anyway, this prayer is about what God has already done, just opening your eyes to it. And so here he prays in Ephesians chapter one, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The only thing he asked God to give you is wisdom and revelation about what you've already got. And if you back up in these previous verses, it says that he's already abounded towards you in all wisdom. So actually, what he's asking God to give you, he's already actually given you all wisdom. He's just asking God to activate it and make it work so that you can perceive and understand. So he's praying that the, uh, in verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Again, there's so much in these verses, I can't cover all of it, but he's praying that your eyes would be open to the riches of his glory, not in heaven, but in the saints. You have the fullness of the Godhead in you bodily when you get born again. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The fullness of the Godhead. Most people think they got a tiny little bit of God and then it has to grow in all of this. No, in your spirit, you are as full of God as you can be. You are as perfect in your spirit as you will ever be in eternity. Your spirit's not growing. Your spirit's already changed. In your spirit, you are as Jesus is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says that. Your spirit is perfect. It's already got everything in it. And he's wanting you to see the riches of the glory of his inheritance that is in you, not in heaven, but in you. If you had to replace what's in you, it would bankrupt heaven to replace it. And yet the average person doesn't believe this because they can't see it in a mirror, they can't feel it in their emotions, and they think that if they can't contact it in some physical, tangible way, that it doesn't exist. But there is a spiritual world that exists, and there's a spiritual you on the inside that exists that most of you don't even know is there. The only way you can know it is just to use this like a spiritual mirror, and you hold it up and say, what does it say? People will come up and say, how are you? You'll say, oh man, I'm tired. 
Oh man, I hurt. The doctor says, how are you? What you need to do is talk about your spirit. How are you in the spirit? Well, I don't know. How am I in the spirit? Right here, Ephesians 1, 3. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings. I'm above only and not beneath. Have you ever walked up to a person and said, how are you? And they say, well, not too bad under the circumstances. You need to get out from under the circumstances. You're supposed to be above only and not beneath the head and not the tail. You're supposed to be walking in victory. And the good news is Jesus has already done this. The, the exceeding greatness of all of his riches are already in us. We just have to release them. I can't tell you what a difference this made in my life when I learned that I already had it and I'm not trying to get it. Yes. You know, Pastor uh, Chaplain Wilson probably doesn't remember this, but I remember in Vietnam, one of the songs that came out was, I've got the victory. You've got the victory. We've all got the victory now. I've got joy. I've got peace like a river. Did you know I would never sing those songs in Vietnam? Because I thought, I'm a lot of things, but I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I don't have joy. I don't have peace. I don't have the victory. And I specifically wouldn't sing those songs because I thought, I want those things, but I don't have them, and I'm just being honest. You know what I was being was carnal. You don't have to say hallelujah so loud. <laughs> You don't have to be that agreeable. <laughs> you know what the word carnal means? Most people think carnal means sinful. Carnal just means you're of the five senses. You are dominated and controlled by your five senses. What you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And because I couldn't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel victory and joy and peace, I thought I was being honest. I was just being carnal. The truth is that in my spirit, my born-again spirit, right here in your belly is your spirit. I keep pointing to my belly. The Bible says in John chapter 7, Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And then it says, this spake he of the spirit. So here in your belly is where your spirit is. Some of you look like you got more of the spirit than others. <laughs> but in our belly, we've already got the life and the power of God. It's already in us. And see, I was just being carnal because I couldn't see it or feel it. I thought, well, I don't have it and I'm just going to be honest. No, I was just being carnal. The truth is, I had love, joy, and peace the whole time. And since I've learned this, there's been lots of times that I've been discouraged and depressed. I felt like quitting, giving up. I remember when my son died and I was told that your son is dead four and a half hours ago. I had the same temptations to be depressed and discouraged and grieved as anybody would, and I just decided I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do it. And I started drawing this out. Yeah. I, wished I, I wished I had the words to convey to you what went on, but I didn't feel like praising God. I couldn't feel joy in my flesh. Yeah. I felt grief. I felt sorrow. I felt all of the things that anybody would feel, but I knew who I was in the Spirit. And I knew that in my spirit, Galatians 5.22, I have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. I knew that those things were in there, and I just decided I was going to draw them out, and I was going to walk in the Spirit instead of walking in the flesh. Yeah. I was going to walk in what the Word says instead of carnally. And I just started praising God, not because I felt like it, but because... I knew that it was like a well on the inside of me and I was going to 
start speaking with my mouth that it'd be like a bucket that just drew this joy and peace that was on the inside of me out. And I started praising God and within minutes, man, it started in the flesh. It started me just doing it out of nothing but sheer obedience to what I knew to be true. But within moments, I began to experience the joy and the peace of God. And then faith rose up. And the end result of that is that my son, who had been dead for nearly five hours, came back to life. He was in a morgue on a slab in a cooler, stripped naked with a toe tag on. had been dead for nearly five hours. And he sat up and started talking. No brain damage. And it happened because I knew that instead of, oh God, would you please heal my son? I knew that God had already given me this power and I knew I already had love, joy, and peace. And I knew what I had. And I guarantee you, when, you, when you're in a crisis situation, that's not the time to be praying and asking God to do something. Man, you need to know what you've already got. You know, that brings back another example that I was on an airplane once. This is back when they still had smoking on the airplanes. And anyway, my, my guy that worked with me, we were the last two to get on an airplane. They put us in the last row of a 737 jet. We were flying from Colorado Springs to Phoenix. And anyway, there was a guy sitting next to the window. I sat in the middle and my friend sat on the aisle. And while we were parked at the gate, this guy smoked two cigarettes. And the stewardess came back and says, you got to put your cigarette out. And he'd just cuss her. I mean, he was full of hatred and he just blasphemed and cussed her. And it was so bad that she walked off and let him smoke. And so anyway, I started talking to this guy. And I started talking to him about different things. What do you do for, you know? And when I asked him, what do you do for a living? I said, what kind of work do you do? I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember Dobie Gillis and Maynard G. Cribs. But when I said, what kind of work do you do? He goes, work? He says, why should I work when this government pays you a good living to you know, live off welfare? He says, this capitalistic society can't live without 10% unemployment. And he just started spewing all this stuff. So I started talking to him about, well, the Lord says, even Adam and Eve were given jobs to do. He told them to dress and to keep the garden. And I said, you would feel so much better if you were contributing instead of taking, instead of being on the dole, if you were one of those that was giving. And every time I talked to him, he just, he really didn't like hearing about God. And he would turn and look out the window. And I just kept pouring it on and talking about Jesus and... <laughs> and about things. And anyway, this guy wheeled around and I mean, he stuck his nose right up against my nose. And he had, his eyes were, it was like fire. It wasn't human. And he yelled at me and says, you are speaking to a disciple of the Maharishi. And he gave out this long name that I later learned was the devil. He was a Satan worshiper. And he was a Satanist high priest, second in command under Anton LaVey. And he was just, you are speaking to a disciple of the Maharishi. And you know when he did that? If I would have said, Philip, let's pray. <laughs> We'd have been dead. That's not the time to pray. That's not the time to say, oh, Jesus, give me power. You know what? If you don't already have it, you're dead in the water. You know what that did? It made me mad. 
And I mean, he backed off a little bit and was looking at me, intimidating me. And I just stuck my nose up against his nose and I yelled at him and I said, you are speaking to a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and my God's bigger than your God. <laughs> and when I said that, this guy turned from intimidation and hatred to absolute terror. He backed up against the side of the airplane. He got his feet up in the seat and started barking like a dog and clacking his teeth and doing things. And I just put it on him. I said, you're a loser. Your God is a loser. I said, who would want to be like you? He had already told me he got his food out of dumpsters. He smelled dirty. He was wearing a fatigue jacket that had cigarette burns all in it. He had fingernails that were an inch long, yellow and green crud underneath them and stuff growing out. And I said, you're a loser. Your God's a loser. Look what he's doing to you. I said, you need to change kingdoms. And I just put it on him, amen. He got so nervous, he pulled his thumbnail out by the roots and blood, bled everywhere. So he went to the bathroom and when he got in the bathroom, he, I guess, calmed himself down or something. And he came back and he was just whistling and acting like everything was fine. And he sat down and he says, nice day, isn't it? <laughs> I said, every day's a nice day with Jesus. And he just jumped up against the wall. <laughs> there were these two little Filipino ladies that were in the seat in front of us and they couldn't reach up, you know, their head didn't reach up over the seat. But I looked and their eyes were like this. They were looking <laughs> And six rows of the plane in front of us just vacated. I don't know where they went. It was an hour and a half flight and the stewardesses never came back. They never offered us nothing. I don't know what, but man, I was just putting it on this guy. And he says, I die for my devil. I die for him. And I said, you have died for him. You're dead and don't know it. And then he says, I can curse you. I've cursed three or four people and I've cut their hearts out and we've had human sacrifices. I'll curse you and you'll be dead in 24 hours. And I turned over to Proverbs 22, 26, 2 and I said, shoot your best shot, buddy. Curse me because the curse causeless shall not come. I said, if you curse me, it's going to come back on you. And anyway, I'm just using this to say that, you know what, you can't, when you get into a tight, you don't need to say, oh, Jesus, the doctor says I'm going to die. Would you please heal me? You're going to die. You need to know who you are. You need to know that God gave you power. You need to know the exceeding greatness of his power that he's given you. And when you're in a crisis situation, it's not the time to beg God to do something, but to believe that God did it and he gave you this power. So again, in verse 18, he's praying that your eyes would be open to see what you already have. And then look at this in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, Man, I could go into every detail of this, but sickness, if you've got a cold, if you've got cancer, if you've got arthritis, if you've got anything, Jesus was raised above it. If you've got poverty, he was raised above it. If you've got demonic problems, if Satan is fighting you, he's raised above it. 
It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. Jesus, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is greater than anything that's fighting you. And it says he's praying that your eyes would be open to the exceeding greatness of his power. You know, I've looked those words up in the original language in the Greek and it's a superlative. When you say the greatness of his power, that's enough, but this is just like a superlative. It's like saying the exceeding greatness of his power. It's more than anything that you'll ever need. You put your cancer on one of these little VU meters, you know, that shows something. And if you put cancer on there, it might go like this, like that, you know, cancer or arthritis or something. But you put the resurrection from the dead on there and it's boom, just like this. The power that Jesus has generated for you and placed on the inside of you is greater than any problem that you've got. And the very reason that you aren't seeing that power released and manifested is because we are either ignorant of this truth or we've forgotten it or we're just flat in disobedience to it, but we are contrary to this. We're approaching God like we have nothing and we can do nothing. Matter of fact, I'll hear people say this all the time. Oh God, we can't do anything against this cancer. It's a, the doctor says it's impossible and you're pitiful and you're trying to make yourself just as pitiful as you possibly can so that God will have some mercy on you. I'm telling you, God had mercy on you before you were ever born, before you ever had the cancer. He had mercy on you. He's already died. He's already generated this. And the moment you got born again, God gave you more than enough power to deal with your emotions, to deal with people, to deal with disappointment, whatever it is that you're dealing with. And for you to come before God as if he's done nothing and if you, as if you have nothing is an insult. It's an insult. You're in unbelief. You know, if I was to give somebody the keys to my car and I said, you know, it's yours. I've given away, I don't even know, 12, 15 cars or something. I've given away lots of cars. And when I give somebody a car, if they were to come to me and said, please, could I have your car? How do you respond to somebody that's asking you for something that you've already given them? I, I'd probably just look at you and I wouldn't know what to say. It'd probably just be silence because I wouldn't, I'd wonder what's wrong with them. I'd just be silent, kind of like when you pray and ask God to heal you. I'm sure that if God could be confused, God would be confused. <laughs> I could just imagine Jesus, you know, the Father looking over and says, I thought you told them that by your stripes they were healed. <laughs> Did you forget to tell them something? Do they not know that they've already been healed? Do they not know that they're blessed with all spiritual blessings? Do they not know that the same power that raised you from the dead is now on the inside of them? Why are they asking me to do all this stuff? It's just unbelief. You can, I know that the only thing that saves us is our ignorance. Because we don't know what we're doing, God in mercy has pity on us. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God has already done His part. He's already put raising from the dead power on the inside of you. Over in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were going into the temple at the hour of prayer and they saw a man who had been lame from his mother's womb. And Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have 
give I unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And they grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankles received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. They didn't even ask Jesus to heal him. They never prayed. Did you know if I was to go into most of your churches and stand up and say, God gave me his healing power. I can heal. People would jump on me like a chicken on a June bug. And they'd go to saying, who do you think you are? You can't do anything. You can't heal a gnat. And you know what? That's true in myself. I don't have any power in myself, but I have God living on the inside of me, and He gave me this power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And for us to approach God and say, Oh God, we can't do anything. Would you please do it? That is advocating your authority that God gave you. And this is the reason things aren't working. You've got to find out who you are and what God did. And then like Peter and John, you have to say, Such as I have. Give I unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then they grabbed him and jerked him up. They didn't wait for something to happen. They made it happen. You'll get in big trouble for doing that today. Most churches will say, without Jesus, you can do nothing. That's John chapter 15, verse 5. And you know what? That's true. Without Jesus, I can do nothing. But I'm never without Jesus. Jesus lives on the inside of me. And I am not by myself, and I am not only human. We used to sing this song, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. That's a sorry song, because I am not only human. I am not just a man. One third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. I have the power of God living on the inside of me. And I can cast out devils and I can lay hands on the sick and see them recover and I can walk in the supernatural power of God. I can do things that I can't do in myself. And see, we got to quit approaching God as if we don't have any revelation of this. You can't claim ignorance anymore. I'm telling you the truth. (laughs) You need to start approaching God and find out what you've got and start taking your authority and using it. You need to speak to those problems. You know, in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus was telling his disciples how he, cast, how he killed this fig tree without touching it. He just talked to it. And they were shocked. And he says, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Mark eleven twenty three, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He said there that you have to say to your mountain. That's your problem. You have to speak to your problem. And if you think this through, did you know that that implies some things? Most people don't talk to their problem. They don't talk to sickness. They don't talk to poverty. They don't talk to depression. They don't talk to their feelings. They don't talk to their body. What they do is talk to God about their problem. Oh God, the doctor said this. The banker said this. Oh God, this is going to happen. And you call out to God and you talk to God about your problem. God said to talk to your problem about Him. Whosoever will say to this mountain, you got to speak to your problem. 
you got to talk to what it is. It's standing between you and victory. And you got to command it to leave. You know, some of you have heard this story, but it's the best story I got along this line, so I'm going to tell it again. But I was over in uh, Charlotte, and I had, I was staying at some people's home, and there was a woman who watched my uh, DVD about Nikki Oshinsky, who was raised up off her deathbed. Any of you seen the Nikki Oshinsky video? And that's awesome, isn't it? And anyway, she saw that, and she was just crying when I got home. And she says, I've got a friend that has something similar to that. Would you pray for her? And I said, sure. And she says, well, she's on her way. And so anyway, this woman came in. She was a Presbyterian lady. And she had, uh, they said that on a scale of 1 to 10, she, her pain was a constant 11. And she had had this for seven years. And two years before I met her, the doctor said she was going to die. There was nothing else I could do for her. And the only way she had existed, she had magnets taped all over her body. And then she sewed magnets into a blanket and wrapped herself in this blanket. And somehow or another, this magnetic field lessened the pain. And that's the way that she lived. And she could barely walk, barely get up, barely get around. So anyway, she came in. She started telling me it was God's will for her to be sick. God did this to teach her something. He was getting glory out of it. I countered all that stuff and told her, no, that's, none of that stuff's true. It's God's will for you to be well. And I spent about 20 minutes or so, and then finally I got her to a place where she was ready to pray. So I sat on this coffee table, and I held hands with her, and I prayed over her and rebuked that pain, spoke to it, and commanded it to leave. And when I got through, I said, so, do you have any pain? And this woman sat there a moment. She started moving around. Then she stood up and took her blanket off and... She moved around and she says, I don't have any pain. It was the first time in seven years that she had been without this constant pain. And she says, but I have a stinging right here or a burning along my waist in the back. What's that about? I said, you didn't tell me you had a burning. You said you had pain. I didn't talk to burning. <laughs> so I said, let me pray again. And I rebuked it and I commanded the burning to leave. And she says, it's gone. And so I spent 20-something minutes teaching her, Mark 11, 23, that if you ever have another pain, it doesn't mean you weren't healed. It's the devil. He knows I mean what I say. So he leaves when I speak, but he doesn't know if you believe what I say. So he's going to come back and he'll knock on the door, but if you don't open up the door and let him in, it'll just leave. I said, you talk to these things the way I talk to it, and it'll work for you. So I spent about 20, 25 minutes teaching her that stuff. As she was getting ready to leave, she put her hand on the doorknob and she looked back at me and she says, the burning is back. And I said, well, I just taught you what to do. So I said, let's pray. And this time you do the praying. And this woman prayed, and this is nearly word for word what she said. She said, Father, I thank you that this does not, sickness does not glorify you, that you didn't put this on me. By your stripes, I was healed. And I claim my healing in the name of Jesus. I am healed. Amen. Do you know that's not a good prayer? Some of you were, yes, amen. That's not a good prayer. You know, it's good things to say, and it's, it's all true what she said, but it is not what the Word of God tells you to do. For a person that had been a Presbyterian just 45 minutes before, it was pretty good. <laughs> but it's not what Jesus told you to do. I knew she wasn't healed. 
And so after she got through, I said, so do you have any burning? And she says, yes, why didn't it leave? And I said, because you didn't do what Jesus told you to do. And she says, what am I supposed to do? And I said, it says, talk to your problem. Jesus isn't your problem. That burning is your problem. Talk to it. And she says, you mean I'm supposed to say burning in the name of Jesus? And I said, exactly. And she says, I'll do it. So we joined hands again, and she said, burning. And she got mad. She said, burning in the name of Jesus. And that's as far as she got. And she says, it's gone. <laughs> and that's been, that was in 2001, and it's been gone ever since. That woman is still here. Some of you think, well, boy, that sounds kind of like a little minor difference. What's the difference? One is that you believe God did what he said he did. He, you believe he gave you that power, and you're going to take it and speak in authority instead of coming to God as a beggar, as if nothing has changed on the inside of you, as if you have no power, you have no ability, and you're just begging God to please pour out his power in your life. One is faith, the other is unbelief. It may be unbelief generated by, by ignorance, but it's still unbelief. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God gave you this power. We've got the same power in every one of us that raised Jesus from the dead. You got raising from the dead power on the inside of every one of you. And yet we're putting up with things as if we don't have any power. The Bible says my people perish for a lack of knowledge and that's exactly what's happening to the body of Christ. And again, most of the body of Christ believes God can do anything, but they don't believe He has done very much. And they believe if they sought Him right and if they got enough people to pray and if they do this and this and this, then maybe God will move. But I'm telling you, God's already moved. It's not God that needs to move. He's not the one that's stuck. You're stuck. You need to move. You need to move the devil by taking your power and authority and speaking and commanding things to happen. Man, that's awesome. When I learned this, it changed everything in my life. I quit begging as if Jesus hadn't done anything and I started standing on what he's done and fighting because I had the victory, not fighting trying to get the victory. Now, there's still a fight because the devil will fight you. And the scripture says over in Hebrews chapter uh, 10 that once you're enlightened, you endure a great fight of afflictions. When you first receive a truth, the devil knows that you aren't established in it yet and that you're your weakest when you first get this revelation and he's going to throw everything he's got planned at you for two or three years in the future at you all at one time trying to get you to back up that's what happened to me. When I got home from Vietnam, I, the Lord showed me these things. I started teaching Bible studies. I hadn't been sick much to speak of in my entire life outside of a cold or something. I, I just never got sick. And I started preaching healing, and I got sick for six months. I was sick with something constantly, and I started to back off and say, I'm not going to preach this because I can't live it. And the Lord spoke to me, and He says, You know what? Are you going to preach it because you can just feel it or something, or are you going to preach it because it's what the Word says? And I said, I'm going to preach it because it's what the Word says, and I don't care if I ever live up to it or not. I'm going to tell people the truth of the Word of God, whether I can see it or feel it. And when I punch through that, 
Did you know what? I started experiencing supernatural healing and different things happening. But I'm saying that there was a great fight against me. And every time you receive a revelation from God, there's still going to be a fight. But the fight is between you and the devil. He's trying to get you to doubt it, to back up in your mind. And it takes some perseverance to be able to stand and fight and pray through these things. Not because it takes that for God. God's already done His part. He's already placed this power on the inside of you. But there's things you have to do to build yourself up. You know, I remember when I first got hold of healing, another thing that happened right after Jamie and I got married, I had a, a flu attack me. And I just was determined that I was going to beat this thing. I was not going to let it run its course for a week or 10 days. I wasn't going to take any medicine. I believed that by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. And I was going to fight it. Some of you think, well, that's stupid. Just go take a pill or take a shot or do something. But you know what? If you don't learn how to beat the flu, how are you going to beat cancer? If you can't lift a, a five pounds, how are you going to lift a hundred pounds? You got to start with something. And yet a lot of people think, oh, I'm, I'm just going to take a pill. Well, I'm, God's not mad at you. I'm not against you for doing that. But I'm saying, when are you going to start exercising your spiritual muscles? Are you going to wait until it's something that the doctors can't handle? You're probably going to die. I decided I was going to start walking in supernatural health. And I just started fighting this flu. And... I would not lay down and act sick. And yet I was so sick, I couldn't stand up. I hurt so bad. So what I actually wound up doing, we had a wood floor in this house we rented, and I put, I got on my hands and knees. I didn't lay down because I was sleepy, and I, I knew I'd go to sleep if I just laid still. So I got on my hands and knees, put my Bible in front of me, turned open to Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, that by his stripes I am healed. And for eight hours during that night, I prayed in tongues and I scooted around on my hands and knees and pushed the Bible with my nose and quoted, by his stripes I'm healed and prayed in tongues and fought this thing. And some of you think, you're weird. <laughs> I think you're weird. You know what? I did that one time. And I overcame, and I, I don't know the exact deals, but for 40-something years, I've been walking in supernatural health. And I've had, the only time I've ever had anything is through my own stupidity when I ministered 41 times one week, and then the very next week ministered 42 times. And I just wore myself down and had to lay in bed and get over it. That was just stupid. Wasn't sick, it was stupid. So, but anyway, I've been walking in supernatural health. And you know what? I fought... And I had to break through that barrier where I was wanting to give up. Now, you don't have to do what I did. You don't have to get on your hands and knees and push the Bible around with your nose. But you've got to do the same type of thing, whatever it is for you. You've got to be that determined. You've got to fight. You know, Al and Angie sitting right here on the second row, man, he fell, broke nearly everything he had, supposed to be in the hospital, and he got that determined. Got so mad that the doctors got mad at him, and he brought all of his Bible study into his room in the hospital and just refused to give up, and he was supposed to never walk, or certainly six months or whatever, and he's totally healed. Angie's stronger than five acres of garlic. She's got this attitude. <laughs> and that's the reason that they wrote a book and you can read their book and they've got miracle after miracle after miracle because you've got to be violent. Yeah. 
The scripture says in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus was speaking and he says, Since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What that's talking about is you got to get this attitude. You got to get violent. As long as you can tolerate sickness, you will. As long as you can tolerate poverty, you will. As long as you can tolerate not walking in what Jesus provided for you, you will. But when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired and you just get mad and say in the name of Jesus and you take your authority, I guarantee you the devil is a coward at heart. And when he sees that fire in your eyes, he'll flee. You resist him and he'll flee. But if you're saying, dear devil, please leave me alone. He's not going to leave. He knows that you are weakening. He knows that you're a wimp. You aren't standing in the authority and the power of the Lord. You know, let me use one last scripture and I'll quit. I'm not through. I just am going to quit. And I've got a lot of stuff out there that'll help you to understand what I'm talking about. I've been talking along the lines of a teaching I've got entitled, uh, You've Already Got It. If you don't have that, you ought to get it. But you say, I've already got it. We've had people call in and say, I want that series that Andrew was teaching on. And they say, you've already got it. And they say, I do. And they'll say, no, but we'll send it to you. He said, well, you told me I already had it. It's really funny. But anyway, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Did you know most people interpret that as God knows that you're human, he knows that you're going to make mistakes, that you're going to get mad, but just make sure you get it confessed every night before the sun sets. That's not what this verse is saying. This is not approving you being in anger during when the sun's up, but when the sun's on the other side of the world, you, gotta, you can't be in anger. That's not what this is saying. This is talking about what I've been talking about right here, about beginning violently resolved. It says, be angry and sin not. In other words, there is a righteous type of anger. There is a godly type of anger. You can be angry without sin. Not all anger is sin. Jesus got angry and he made a, a whip and drove the money changers out of the temple and Jesus didn't sin. He was angry. There is a godly type of anger and this is what it's talking about. Be angry in a godly way without sin and don't ever let the sun go down on it. Don't ever put it to bed. Keep your anger stirred up. You need to get to where you hate sickness and disease. I hate sickness. I do not live in sickness. I don't believe in being sick. I had Derry and Karen when we were in Nicaragua one time. We were talking about something and I remember Pastor Karen says something about, do you ever get sick? And I said, I don't believe in being sick. I don't know if you remember that. But I don't believe in being sick. I don't get sick. Some of you think, well, you can't do that. See, that's the reason you're sick. Because you don't believe it. I believe it. No plague will come by my dwelling. He gives his angels charge over me and I don't get sick. I know many of you don't believe a thing I'm saying. Well, just keep being sick. I'm the guy that, the only time I've been sick, I've had about twice in 45 years. And again, it was my own stupidity where I just overdid myself and I had to go lay down because I just, I, one time I had to crawl into the bed. I didn't have any energy left. 
And that's the reason I had some stuff hit me. But I mean, I have believed God. I've got doctor's reports. I've been healed of incurable diseases. And I've got doctor's reports. And then two days later, the same doctor said I'm totally healed. I went and had to get my driver's license this month. And I looked in the thing and she said, read line two. And I couldn't see line two. And she says, do you have glasses? And I said, no. And she says, you're going to have to go get glasses. So while she went to get a form, I said, in the name of Jesus. And I kept looking in there. And when she came back, she realized I was trying to read it. And she says, can you read it? And I said, let me try. And I read it. And she says, you passed. And amen. I'm, I didn't have to have glasses. I'm not getting glasses. Moses was 120 years old. His eyesight wasn't dim, nor his natural fort abated. Deuteronomy 34, 7. I'm not against anybody who's got glasses. I'm just saying, you know what? I've just chosen that Jesus died and paid for my sickness and my sins and all of these things. And if he paid for it, I'm going to receive it. And somebody think, well, I don't believe that way. That's the reason you don't get the results that I got. Some of you are right now discounting what I've said, and yet you are sick all of the time. You have problems and stuff that I don't have. And so you know what? If you don't like the fruit you're getting, maybe you need to switch over and use my root that is producing the fruit that I've got. I'm telling you, if you would get violent and say, I will not be sick. I hate sickness. And don't tolerate it. It'd flee from you. But there's a lot of people that just tolerate and embrace it and say that I can't do anything about it. I can't, what could I do? You can get mad. Get mad at it. Amen. Amen. Man, I need to quit, but you need to start believing. <laughs> you need to start believing what I'm talking about. And if you would do this, I guarantee you it would change your life. And you know, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, my life transformed. It's like somebody just opened my mind and heart up and I began to understand in Scripture like I never did before. And if you don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit, when you got born again, you've got the life of God on the inside of you like I've been talking about. But Jesus didn't do any miracles even though He was God manifest in the flesh until the Holy Spirit came upon Him. And it says that the power of God came upon him. And then he told us, he says, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Jesus said to us to receive this power. And don't go out and try and minister or do anything until you receive this power. If Jesus had to have it, who do you think you are that you could get by without the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit? If he told us to receive this power, you need it. And I know that there's some of you here tonight that because I don't scream or spit and I don't have a, a handkerchief wiping my fevered brow and say glory to God, you didn't realize that I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you probably came here under false pretenses. You didn't know you was at one of these tongue talker meetings, but I'm telling you, this changed my life. It changed my life dramatically and if you like any of the fruit that you see in my life and these things that I've talked about, I'm telling you it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that changed me and gave me this attitude and this power. And it, you need it. If you don't have it, you need it.
And somebody's probably thinking, so are you saying that you aren't saved if you don't have the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? No, that's not what I'm saying. You can be born again without receiving this gift of speaking in tongues. I'm not speaking in tongues right now. I'm saved and I'm not speaking in tongues. You can be saved and not speak in tongues. You can be saved and not speak in tongues and still go to heaven and you can get there quicker <laughs> because you aren't going to have any power and you'll let something kill you along the way, but you can go to heaven. You don't have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. Somebody says, well, does everybody speak in tongues? It's like a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. Every person that receives the Holy Spirit gets the ability to speak in tongues, but you have to do it. Just like right now, I could speak in tongues if I wanted to, but I'm not going to do it because it's not what the Word says to do in an assembly. But I can speak in tongues. I can start it. I can stop it. Some people think, so you can just turn God on and off. Nope, God's on all of the time. It's me that's on and off, and anytime I turn me on, I can speak in tongues. Anytime I want to, the Holy Spirit gives me the ability to speak in tongues. If you don't have this gift, you need it. And before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to be born again. If you don't personally know Jesus, I talked about that at the very beginning tonight, and if you haven't reached out and taken this, maybe you acknowledge that He exists, Maybe you're one of those that's been standing around saying, well, I want it. I sure hope I go to heaven. But have you ever reached out and taken it and said, he promised that he did it. Now I confess him as my Lord and I believe in my heart I am saved. If you have never done that, you need to do that. And you must receive Jesus before you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says He's the one that gives the Holy Spirit, so you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody here tonight that would say, I need one or both of those? Either I need to reach out and take my salvation and or I need this gift of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you and help you to receive here tonight. Awesome. Man, we got people all over the auditorium. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.